0: But anyway, I entitled Today's Lessons, Today's Lesson, Takeaways from Romans for Us Today. Things that we can hold on to and use today. And I think that's what we need to be looking at instead of getting hung up on all the technicalities and details sometimes and just try to figure out what the Bible can do for us today. So that's where I want to start and we're, we're going to work through a lot of different ideas, ideas and, and I hope it's profitable, it was, a, it was kind of enjoyable putting it together really. and it, it always helps me grow stronger. I never knew how much I didn't know about the book of Romans until I started preparing to teach these lessons. So anyway, I want to start with a couple of quotes. And these, came, these quotes came from some different books and commentaries that I've used for the last four months trying to put these lessons together. The first one's by a dude named John Stott. He's highly thought of. Really uh, an interesting read. And he says Romans is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. Now, that's heavy. That's heavy. Paul calls the gospel the power of God for salvation. And I think that's what Stott is pointing at, in a way. And a guy named William Tyndale, who's commonly thought of as the father of the English Bible, I have two quotes from him. Romans is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and the most pure, glad tidings. And it also is a light and a way into the whole Scripture. And again, there's a lot of power in those words as well. He wrote that in early 1500s because we don't use phrases like glad tidings, but that, he wrote that 600 years ago. He also wrote, learn it by heart. I don't have that kind of memory. I can remember part of it. Learn it by heart. The more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. Those are powerful words. Now, the consensus of all the books and references that I've used to study with is that Romans tells us what to do, how to live, and how to be acceptable in God's sight. Paul's writing this letter to a group of early Christians. Very diverse group of people. And and there was a lot of disagreement. A lot of different, when you mix that many cultures, those cultures together, there's a lot of conflict. A lot of different ideas. And Paul's goal in writing Romans was unity in that church family. And our goal today, in every church I've ever been a part of, is unity. You know, our theme this year is fit together. And that, in a sense, is unity. In the book of Romans, Paul's giving us guidelines And by the time Paul wrote this, he had practically finished his third missionary trip. And he's seen a lot of stuff. He's been involved with a lot of groups of people in a lot of different areas, and he is well qualified to give us instructions. So, I believe, that Paul is telling us to keep God first in our lives, to remain faithful, to live a life of service, to love one another, and to follow God's Word. And he's telling us how to do those things. Paul is writing this letter to introduce himself to people that he hopes to come see very soon, but he's also giving them some instructions. And he's trying to encourage both the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. He's trying to encourage both groups. A simple outline of his book, Paul's Introduction and Good News, That's the gospel. That's the first part of it. Then he shows that everyone is guilty before God. Everyone. The third section is how God accepts people. The fourth is living the new life of faith. And then God reaches out to Israel. That's the section about the vine and the branches and all that stuff. And then he spends three and a little bit chapters on how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to teach each pre treat each other. And I that to me that was the most enjoyable part of the whole letter, was 12 through 15, 13. And then he closes it out as Drew did last week, We're just explaining some plans he has, a goal he has to go to Spain, and greeting a whole bunch of people. Kind of like we would end a letter. Tell so and so hello. Now what I'd like to do this morning is for us to look back <laughs> over the letter at some key verses that help us do two things. First, to see God's promises. Just a few of God's promises to us. And then to look at some instructions that He gives us for different aspects of our life. Different emotions that we feel as we go through life. So we're going to start with the promises. He promises us His presence. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can put that into bank God has promised us he will always be with us. To illustrate that point, I I heard or read somewhere in the past a story about a couple that are in their pickup truck and they're going down the road. It's an older truck with just a bench seat. And the lady's over on the right. And she looks over and says, Honey, when we first got married... I used to sit over there by you and you'd put your arm around me and you'd drive. Tell me how much you love me. And now I'm sitting way over here. What happened? And he said, you moved. The only thing that can separate us from God is us. We can separate ourselves. But that does not stop God from loving us. That's what that verse is saying. No matter what we do, God loves us. He wants the best for us. And I think that's part of Paul's message for us. He promises us his love. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To me, the key word in that verse is shows God's love for us was not a one-and-done thing. He shows us his love every second of every day. His Spirit. His Spirit. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then in 26 the first part says the spirit helps us in our weakness. That's one of my that if I had to pick one verse out of Romans, I think it would be 26. How many times Have you been trying to say a prayer and you're so distraught, so confused, your mind's just in a thousand places and you don't even know what to pray for? That verse says the Spirit intercedes for you. If you haven't had a moment in your life like that, you will have. Things happen in our life that are out of our control. And we want to ask God for help sometimes, and we don't even know what to ask for. And that verse says we don't have to know. The Spirit knows what we need. His peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I've said it before in this class, Christians are to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We are to be the happiest, most joyful people on the face of this earth because we have hope. His blessings. That verse is probably the most quoted verse and also the most misquoted verse in Romans. I think it talks about His blessings. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. A faithful man will abound with blessings. His blessings will be overflowing. That verse doesn't say that everything that happens to us is going to be good, because it's not. But it's saying that God works all things for good. His joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Again, we speak of hope. John recorded Jesus' words in chapter 15, 10, and 11 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commands and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And because of that love, I'll fill you with joy. Now we're going to talk about some directions that God gives us. And some of these are going to overlap as some of the promises overlapped. Some of these directions are going to overlap as well. The first one is when we need God's direction. Have you ever prayed and asked, just show me what to do? Show me what to do. In 12, one and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's one thing we're supposed to do. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We spent a lot of time on this next section. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's another thing he wants us to do. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The only way we can know the will of God is to study the Word. If you're not willing to study the Word, then I think it's wrong. Ask God to show you the way. Because Scripture says everything we need is right here. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God to help, but don't ask God to do everything. We have a responsibility. We're supposed to renew our mind. God's not going to crack our heads open and stuff it in and close it up and we're good. We have responsibilities. The Word will show us the will if we'll study it. Ephesians 4, just to paraphrase a couple of verses, says, put off your old self and put on your new self and renew your mind. Get your head screwed on straight. If something needs to be fixed, Fix it. If you need to make a change, make it. That's what that verse is saying. When we need stronger faith, I'd still be typing if I had to type all them verses, so we're going to read them. Chapter 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're looking for stronger faith, we need to study. We need to study. Faith comes from hearing. And in some cases, from reading and studying. God speaks to us today through His Word. And if we need stronger faith, again, we have to do some work. And we're only justified by faith. And only through Christ can we be justified, reconciled, only through Christ. There's no other way to be saved other than through Christ. We spent some time on twelve, four through eight. Again, I want to read them. I couldn't get it all on one slide, so we're going to read. 12, 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That section of Scripture is saying, You have a gift. Don't say you can't do anything because God has given you a gift. And again, he expects us to use it. No matter what it is, use it. Think of the one talent man. He had a gift that he did not use. He's given us that gift for a reason. Some gifts show. Some gifts seem more important than another. But don't think God gave you something that's not important. He gave you what he wanted to give you. He didn't make a mistake. Years ago, I thought about this. This It's the way my weird mind works, but I thought about this. You know, in Scripture, it related to parts of the body. You know, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, an old car, truck, specifically an old truck, Ford, from 72 back, way back. You can go all the way back to the 30s. Had a set of points in the distributor. Some of you old dudes know what I'm talking about. And those points controlled the spark. And when you put a set of points in the distributor there was a slotted hole for a screw and there was a fixed hole for a screw and you could adjust those points one way or another And when you got them where you wanted you tighten that slotted screw now <clears throat> that little screw was about the size of a pencil lid it's a tiny little screw but if that one little screw came loose your truck became a two-ton paperweight because it wasn't going anywhere. Just that one little screw. Out of all those parts, that one little insignificant, little tiny little screw, if it didn't do its job, the whole truck quit. That's the way it is in the church family. We all... Can't stand up and preach. But we can all do our part. And I think that's what I think that's what our gift is. We need to figure out what we're good at. And if you can't figure it out, ask somebody. Because sometimes people see your gift better than you do. But you have a gift, and God expects you to use it. Messed up, sorry. When questioning the way God made you, and sometimes we do that, I do it when I stick my foot in my mouth. Why do I have such a big mouth? Anyway, don't question the way God made you. We had a guy at Cedar Grove for years really uneducated. I I don't even know if he had a high school diploma. It's a black fella. And every once in a while he would do a devotional like on a Wednesday night. He said some of the most powerful things I've ever heard. And one of them he said was, God don't make junk. You're not some mistake. You are exactly who God wanted you to be. So don't question God. Why am I seven feet tall and bump my head everywhere? Why am I five-four and I'm a guy? Don't question the way God made you. Whether it be physical, personality, whatever. God made you exactly the way he wanted you. In Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created for good works. Now, the God that created the stars, the God that created the earth, and every living thing on it, created you. So I don't think we need to question that. When we feel like a failure... When we feel like a failure, think of these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are failures. But we're justified by His grace as a gift. Nothing we can earn through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. You're not a failure unless you give up on yourself. You're not a failure. You look around at people sometimes and you think, wow, they got it going on. And little do you know what's really going on. Social media has just Let's just put it out there. It's been that way forever. We look at families and think, well, I wish my kids were like that. And in reality, you're, you, if you really knew the truth, you would not want that. We tend to compare ourselves with each other instead of comparing ourselves with Christ. We're all in the same boat. We're all failures, and our only hope is through Jesus Christ. When we feel depressed. You ever felt depressed? Think of these verses in chapter 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character is who we are. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. With a pure heart, if you've been in that baptistry with a sincere belief, then that Holy Spirit is in you. And it gives us hope. No matter what's going on in your life, it gives us hope. And that's the antidote to depression. Hope is the antidote. That's the pill you swallow to get over depression. Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. When you're feeling low, read Psalms. Just flip to just about any of them. And it'll take you to another one. Paul, Paul, David went through so many things, highs and lows, highs and lows. And we're no different. We're going to have days when we're depressed. We're going to have days where we're full of joy, and we're going to have millions of them in between. Read the book of Psalms, it's powerful. Again, it's God's Word. When we feel lost in sin, which is a symptom of depression, when we feel lost, in sin. Think of these words in chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You know, one of Paul's arguments in Romans, in his writings to Romans, and in other churches, was forget the old law. It's past. It's it's done with. That was the law of sin and death because no human being could keep that law perfectly. Drew said the other day there's 600 and something different laws uh, that the Pharisees had No one could keep all those laws. And unless you kept every single law, then you're subject to death. We don't have to do that because Jesus paid the price. Just be sure, if you're feeling lost in sin, just be sure that you're in Christ. And that choice is yours. No one's going to drag you to the baptistry and dunk you. And if they did, it wouldn't do any good. It's every person's choice. When you're fighting pride, when you're fighting pride, chapter 12, verse 3 says, for the By the grace given me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Again, we tend to look at other people and compare ourselves sometimes. And we look at some people and we go, we're kind of like that tax collector uh, or, or we're, we're kind of like that Pharisee. I'm thankful I'm not like him. Who we really need to be looking at is Jesus Christ. And I think we need to have pride in ourselves, But I think he's saying right there not to think of himself more highly then he ought to think. We ought to have some pride in ourselves, But we shouldn't have too much. And we shouldn't have too much at the expense of somebody else. In Proverbs 6, 16 through about 19, it lists seven things that God hates. The very first one, and I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, the very first one he mentions is haughty eyes. I'm better than you. You know what's next? And the only thing that separates them is a comma. I don't think the original writings had commas, but the, the, the Bibles we use today have commas. The next thing, number two on the list, is murder. So in God's eyes, haughty eyes, are in the same boat with murder. we think of it as nothing pride is a dangerous thing and i think that's why paul put that in this letter because one group of people was thinking we're better than the other group and that was a battle paul fought everywhere he went and that's a battle that goes on today when we're seeking revenge Chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our instructions. Paul's writing that to people 2,000 years ago. God is giving those words to us today to live by. And He's leaving us an out because it's not always possible to have peace with everybody you're going to meet. But He's saying, as far as it's possible for you to have it. And He emphasizes, If anybody has the right to take revenge, it's me and me alone. And our next one is judgment. And those two tie together real closely, real closely. In 14, 3 and 4 say, not... Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Verse 4, Who are you to place pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then verse 10 why do you pass judgment on your brother or you why do you despise your brother before we all stand before the judgment seat of god judgment is for god judging others is for god he expects us to use some judgment but not to judge each other that's his job And then when we have disagreements, not if we have disagreements, but when we have disagreements. Since the bell has ding-donged, we're just going to read verse 10 and verse 18. 12, 10, and 18. Love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. And then in verse 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with others. We had an elder. When I first became a deacon years ago, we had an elder. And any time we had an elders and deacons meeting, then there was a little bit of disagreement. Brother Joe was the senior dude. He was in his 80s. And he'd say, be nice. <coughs> and that would just kind of like, <laughs> it just calm everybody down. He'd just say two words, be nice. Be nice. And I think that's what Paul's saying. Be nice to each other. We don't all have to agree. We're not all going to agree. But we need to be nice. We need to love each other. We need to respect each other. And I think that's what Paul's trying to tell us. And when you need encouragement, as we all do, as we all do, think of these words, 8, 37 through 39. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you more than your little human mind can imagine. We cannot even begin to fathom God's love. The question I have is, why does he love us? Because we're not very lovable at times. God loves us. When you need encouragement, pick up the Bible. Go to your concordance. Look up the word love. And then read as many as you can. If you had to sum up scripture in one word, I think love would be a perfect word. God is love. God is love. And then Paul kind of closes out his letter a little bit earlier than when he starts all this bye-bye and here I'm, I'll be there in a week or two. But before that, in chapter 15, verse 13, he wants to leave them with an idea of there's hope. And, and, and they call it a benediction. And I think it's more of a kind of a prayer kind of thing. But he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, sorry, I forgot to capitalize spirit, you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I think Paul was trying to teach the Romans that no matter what was going on, they still had hope. And we do too. We do too. Sometimes we can't see that and we don't feel that. He wants us to be overflowing in joy and because of that, be filled with hope. I have really enjoyed teaching this class. First time I've ever talked where I'm being filmed and recorded, so that's kind of weird. But anyway, I've really enjoyed the class. I didn't know I was so gray-headed and fat until you look at yourself. But anyway, thank you all for listening. I've had several people really give me encouraging comments, and nobody has booed. So I appreciate that. I tried to find out who's teaching in here next quarter, starting Sunday. And the best I could come up with, we think it's Drew. See, we have a disagreement <laughs> in here. No, 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 So, who's teaching in here, and what's he teaching? Attitudes. All right, boy, that's going to be interesting. Anyway, thank y'all again. I really enjoyed it. Get out of here.